Chapter forty nine, part two of a popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six, by Francois Guizot, translated by Robert Black. Chapter forty nine, Louis the Fourteenth and his court, part two. The date has never been ascertained exactly of the king's private marriage with Madame de Maintenon. It took place probably eighteen months or two years after the queen's death. The king was forty-seven, Madame de Maintenon fifty. Quote, she had great remains of beauty, bright and sprightly eyes, an incomparable grace, says Saint-Simon, who detested her, an air of ease and yet of restraint and respect, a great deal of cleverness with a speech that was sweet, correct, in good terms, and naturally eloquent and brief. Madame de la Valliere had held sway over the young and passionate heart of the prince, Madame de Montespan over the court, Madame de Maintenon alone established her empire over the man and the king. Quote, Whilst giving up our heart, we must remain absolute master of our mind, Louis the Fourteenth had written separate our affections from our resolves as a sovereign, that she who enchants us may never have liberty to speak to us of our business, or of the people who serve us, and that they be two things absolutely distinct." The king had scrupulously applied this maxim. Mademoiselle de la Valliere had never given a thought to business. Madame de Montespan had sought only to shine disputing the influence of Colbert when he would have put a limit upon her ruinous fancies, leaning for support at the last upon Louvois, in order to counterbalance the growing power of Madame de Maintenon. The latter alone had any part in affairs, a smaller part than has frequently been made out, but important nevertheless, and sometimes decisive. Ministers went occasionally to do their work in her presence with the king, who would turn to her when the questions were embarrassing and ask, quote, What does your solidity think? End quote. The opinions she gave were generally moderate and discreet. Quote, I did not manage to please in my conversation about the buildings, she wrote to Cardinal Noailles, and what grieves me is to have caused vexation to no purpose. Another block of chambers is being built here at a cost of a hundred thousand francs. Marly will soon be a second Versailles the people, what will become of them?" End quote. And later on, quote, Would you think proper, Monseigneur, to make out a list of good bishops? You could send it me, so that, on the occasions which are constantly occurring, I might support their interests, and they might have the business referred to them in which they ought to have a hand, and for which they are the proper persons. I am always spoken to when the question is of them, and if I were better informed, I should be bolder. Quote, it is said that you meddle too little with business, Fenelon wrote to her in 1694. Your mind is better calculated for it than you suppose. You ought to direct your whole endeavours to giving the king views tending to peace, and especially to the relief of the people, to moderation, to equity, to mistrust of harsh and violent measures, to horror for acts of arbitrary authority, and finally to love of the church, and to assiduity in seeking good pastors for it. End quote. Neither Fenelon nor Madame de Maintenon had seen in the revocation of the Edict of Nantes quote, an act of arbitrary authority or a harsh and violent measure. End quote. 
she was not inclined towards persecution but she feared lest her moderation should be imputed to a remnant of prejudice in favour of her former religion Quote, and this it is she would say which makes me approve of things quite opposed to my sentiments an egotistical and cowardly prudence which caused people to attribute to madame de maintenon in the severities against the huguenots a share which she had not voluntarily or entirely assumed whatever the apparent reserve and modesty with which it was cloaked the real power of madame de maintenon over the king's mind peeped out more and more into broad daylight she promoted it dexterously by her extreme anxiety to please him as well as by her natural and sincere attachment to the children whom she had brought up and who had a place near the heart of louis the fourteenth already the young duke of maine had been sent to the army at the dauphin's side the king was about to have him married august twenty ninth sixteen ninety two to mademoiselle de charolais carefully seeking for his natural children alliances among the princes of his blood he had recently given mademoiselle de nantes daughter of madame de montespan to the duke grandson of the great conde for a long time past says saint simon madame de maintenon even more than the king had been thinking of marrying mademoiselle de blois madame de montespan's second daughter to the duke of chartres he was the king's own and only nephew and the first moves towards this marriage were the more difficult in that monsieur was immensely attached to all that appertained to his greatness and madame was of a nation which abhorred misalliances and of a character which gave no promise of ever making this marriage agreeable to her the king considered himself sure of his brother he had set his favourites to work and employed underhand intrigues quote, he sent for the young duke of chartres paid him attention told him he wanted to have him settled in life that the war which was kindled on all sides put out of his reach the princesses who might have suited him that there were no princesses of the blood of his own age that he could not better testify his affection towards him than by offering him his daughter whose two sisters had married princes of the blood but that however eager he might be for this marriage he did not want to put any constraint upon him and would leave him full liberty in the matter this language addressed with the awful majesty so natural to the king to a prince who is timid and had not a word to say for himself put him at his wit's end he fell back upon the wishes of his father and mother quote, that is very proper in you replied the king but as you consent your father and mother will make no objection and turning to monsieur who was present is it not so brother he asked monsieur had promised a messenger was sent for madame who cast two furious glances at her husband and her son saying that as they were quite willing she had nothing to say made a curt obeisance and went her way home thither the court thronged next day the marriage was announced quote, madame was walking in the gallery with her favourite mademoiselle de chateautier taking long steps handkerchief in hand weeping unrestrainedly speaking somewhat loud gesticulating and making a good picture of ceres after the rape of her daughter proserpine seeking her in a frenzy and demanding her back from jupiter everybody saluted and stood aside out of respect monsieur had taken refuge in lansquenet never was anything so shamefaced as his look or so disconcerted as his whole appearance and this first condition lasted more than a month with him 
the duke of chartres came into the gallery going up to his mother as he did every day to kiss her hand at that moment madame gave him a box of the ear so loud that it was heard some paces off and given as it was before the whole court covered the poor prince with confusion and overwhelmed the countless spectators with prodigious astonishment that did not prevent or hamper the marriage which took place with great pomp at versailles on the eighteenth of february sixteen ninety two the king was and continued to the last the absolute and dread master of all his family to its remotest branches he lost through this obedience a great deal that is charming and sweet in daily intercourse for him and for madame de maintenon the great and inexhaustible attraction of the duchess of burgundy was her gaiety and unconstrained ease tempered by the most delicate respect which this young princess on coming as quite a child to france from the court of savoy had tact enough to introduce and always maintain amidst the most intimate familiarity Quote, in public demure respectful with the king and on terms of timid propriety with madame de maintenon whom she never called anything but aunt thus prettily blending rank and affection in private chattering frisking fluttering around them at one time perched on the arm of one or the other's chair at another playfully sitting on their knee she would throw herself upon their necks embrace them kiss them fondle them pull them to pieces chuck them under the chin tease them rummage their tables their papers their letters reading them sometimes against their will according as she saw that they were in the humour to laugh at it and occasionally speaking thereon admitted to everything even at the reception of couriers bringing the most important news going into the king at any hour even at the time the council was sitting useful and also fatal to ministers themselves but always inclined to help to excuse to benefit unless she were violently set against anybody the king could not do without her when rarely she was absent from his supper in public it was plainly shown by a cloud of more than usual gravity and taciturnity over the king's whole person and so when it happened that some ball in winter or some party in summer made her break into the night she arranged matters so well that she was there to kiss the king the moment he was awake and to amuse him with an account of the affair memoire de saint simon page one eighty six the dauphiness had died in sixteen ninety the duchess of burgundy was therefore almost from childhood queen of the court and before long the idol of the courtiers it was around her that pleasures sprang up it was for her that the king gave the entertainments to which he had habituated versailles not that for her sake or to take care of her health he would ever consent to modify his habits or make the least change in his plans Quote, thank god it is over he exclaimed one day after an accident to the princess i shall no longer be thwarted in my trips and in all i desire to do by the representations of physicians i shall come and go as i fancy and i shall be left in peace even in his court and amongst his most devoted servants this monstrous egotism astounded and scandalized everybody Quote, a silence in which you might have heard an ant move succeeded this sally says saint simon who relates the scene we looked down we hardly dared draw breath everybody stood aghast to the very builders men and gardeners everybody was motionless 
This silence lasted more than a quarter of an hour. The king broke it as he leaned against a balustrade of the great basin to speak about a carp. Nobody made any answer. He afterwards addressed his remarks about these carp to some builder's men who did not keep up the conversation in the regular way. It was but a question of carp with them. Everything was at a low ebb, and the king went away some little time after. As soon as we dared look at one another out of his sight, our eyes meeting told all. There was no venturing beyond looks. Fenelon had said with severe charity, quote, God will have compassion upon a prince beset from his youth up by flatterers. End quote. Flattery ran a risk of becoming hypocrisy. On returning to a regular life, the king was for imposing the same upon his whole court. The instinct of order and regularity, smothered for a while in the heyday of passion, had resumed all its sway over the naturally proper and steady mind of Louis the Fourteenth. His dignity and his authority were equally involved in the cause of propriety and regularity at his court. He imposed this yoke as well as all the others. There appeared to be entire obedience. Only some princes or princesses escaped it sometimes, getting about them a few free thinkers or boon companions. Good, honest folks showed ingenuous joy. The virtuous and far-sighted were secretly uneasy at the falsehood, and deplored the pressure put on so many consciences and so many lives. The king was sincere in his repentance for the past. Many persons in his court were as sincere as he. Others who were not affected, in order to please him, the externals of austerity. Absolute power oppressed all spirits, extorting from them that hypocritical complacence which is liable to engender. Corruption was already brooding beneath appearances of piety. The reign of Louis the Fifteenth was to see its deplorable fruits displayed with a haste and a scandal which are to be explained only by the oppression exercised in the last years of King Louis the Fourteenth. Madame de Maintenon was like the genius of this reaction towards regularity, propriety, order. All the responsibility for it had been thrown upon her. The good she did has disappeared beneath the evil she allowed or encouraged. The regard lavished upon her by the king has caused illusions as to the discreet care she was continually taking to please him. She was faithful to her friends so long as they were in favour with the king. If they had the misfortune to displease him, she at the very least gave up seeing them. Without courage or hardihood to withstand the caprices and wishes of Louis the Fourteenth she had gained and preserved her empire by dint of dexterity and far-sighted suppleness beneath the externals of dignity she never forgot her origin quote, i am not a grandee she would say i am a mushroom her life entirely devoted to the king had become a veritable slavery she said as much to mademoiselle d'aumale at saint cyr i have to take for my prayers and for mass the time when everybody else is still sleeping, for when once they begin coming into my room at half-past seven, I haven't another moment to myself. They come filing in, and nobody goes out without being relieved by somebody higher. At last comes the king, then, of course, they all have to go out. He remains with me up to mass. I am still in my nightcap. The king comes back after mass, then the Duchess of Burgundy with her ladies, they remain whilst I dine. 
i have to keep up the conversation which flags every moment and to manage so as to harmonize minds and reconcile hearts which are as far as possible asunder the circle is all round me and i cannot ask for anything to drink i sometimes say to them aside it is a great honour but really i should prefer a footman at last they all go away to dinner i should be free during that time if monseigneur did not generally choose it for coming to see me for he often dines earlier in order to go hunting he is very difficult to entertain having very little to say and finding himself a bore and running away from himself continually so i have to talk for two immediately after the king has dined he comes into my room with all the royal family princes and princesses then i must be prepared for the gayest of conversation and wear a smiling face amidst so much distressing news when this company disperses some lady has always something particular to say to me the duchess of burgundy also wants to have a chat the king returns from hunting he comes to me the door is shut and nobody else is admitted then i have to share his secret troubles which are no small number arrives a minister and the king sets himself to work if i am not wanted at this consultation which seldom happens i withdraw to some farther distance and write or pray i sup whilst the king is still at work i am restless whether he is alone or not the king says to me you are tired madame go to bed my women come but i feel that they interfere with the king who would chat with me and does not like to chat before them or perhaps there are some ministers still there whom he is afraid they may overhear wherefore i make haste to undress so much that i often feel quite ill from it at last i am in bed the king comes up and remains by my pillow until he goes to supper but a quarter of an hour before supper the dauphin and the duke and duchess of burgundy come in to me again at ten everybody goes out at last i am alone but very often the fatigues of the day prevent me from sleeping she was at that time seventy she was often ailing but the duchess of burgundy was still very young and the burden of the most private matters of court diplomacy fell entirely upon madame de maintenon quote, the princess des ursins is about to return to spain she said if i do not take her in hand if i do not repair by my attentions the coldness of the duchess of burgundy the indifference of the king and the curtness of the other princes she will go away displeased with our court and it is expedient that she should praise it and speak well of it in spain it was in fact through madame de maintenon and her correspondence with the princess des ursins that the private business between the two courts of france and spain was often carried on at madrid far more than at versailles the influence of women was all-powerful the queen ruled her husband who was honest and courageous but without wit or daring and the princess des ursins ruled the queen as intelligent and as amiable as her sister the duchess of burgundy but more ambitious and more haughty louis the fourteenth had several times conceived some misgiving of the camarera major's influence over his grandson she had been disgraced and then recalled she had finally established her sway by her fidelity ability dexterity and indomitable courage she served france habitually spain and her own influence in spain always 
she had been charming with an air of nobility grace elegance and majesty all together and accustomed to the highest society and the most delicate intrigues during her sojourn at rome and madrid she was full of foresight and calculation but impassioned ambitious implacable pushing to extremes her amity as well as her hatred faithful to her master and mistress in their most cruel trials and then hampering and retarding peace for the sake of securing for herself a principality in the low countries without having risen from the ranks like madame de maintenon she had reached a less high and less safe elevation she had been more absolutely and more daringly supreme during the time of her power and at last she fell with the rudest shock without any support from madame de maintenon the pretensions of madame des ursins during the negotiations had offended france Quote, this was the stone of stumbling between the two supreme directresses says saint simon after this attempt at sovereignty there was no longer the same accord between madame de maintenon and madame des ursins but this latter had reached in spain a point at which she more easily supposed that she could dispense with it the queen of spain had died at the age of twenty-six in seventeen fourteen did the princess for a moment conceive the hope of marrying philip v in spite of the disproportion in rank and age nobody knows she had already been reigning as sovereign mistress for some months when she received from the king this stunning command quote, look me out a wife she obeyed she looked out alberoni an italian priest brought into spain by the duke of vendome drew her attention to the princess of parma elizabeth farnese the principality was small the princess young alberoni laid stress upon her sweetness and modesty quote, nothing will be more easy he said than for you to fashion her to spanish gravity by keeping her retired in the capacity of her camarera major entrusted with her education you will easily be able to acquire complete sway over her mind the princess des ursins believed him and settled the marriage quote, cardonne has surrendered at last madame she wrote on the twentieth of september seventeen fourteen to madame de maintenon there is nothing left in catalonia that is not reduced the new queen at her coming into this kingdom is very fortunate to find no more war there she whom we have lost would have been beside herself with delight at enjoying peace after having experienced such cruel sufferings of all kinds the longer i live the more i see that we are never so near a reverse of fortune as when she is favourable or so near receiving favours as when she is maltreating us for that reason madame if one were wise one would take her in constancy graciously the time had come for madame des ursins to make definitive trial of fortunes and constancy she had gone to meet the new queen in full dress and with her ornaments elizabeth received her coldly they were left alone the queen reproached the princess with negligence in her costume madame des ursins strangely surprised would have apologized quote, but all at once there was the queen at offensive words and screaming summoning demanding officers guards and imperiously ordering madame des ursins out of her presence she would have spoken but the queen with redoubled rage and threats began to scream out for the removal of this mad woman from her presence and her apartments she had her put out by the shoulders 
and on the instant into a carriage with one of her women, to be taken at once to Saint-Jean-de-Luz. It was seven o'clock at night, the day but one before Christmas, the ground all covered with ice and snow. Madame des Ursins had no time to change gown or headdress, to take any measures against the cold, to get any money, or anything else at all. End quote. Thus she was conducted almost without a mouthful of food to the frontier of France. She hoped for aid from the King of Spain, but none came. It got known that the Queen had been abetted in everything and beforehand by Philip V. On arriving at Saint-Jean-de-Luz, she wrote to the King and to Madame de Maintenon, quote, Can you possibly conceive, Madame, the situation in which I find myself? Treated in the face of all Europe, with more contempt by the queen of spain than if i were the lowest of wretches they want to persuade me that the king acted in concert with the princess who had me treated with such cruelty i shall await his orders at st jean de luz where i am in a small house close by the sea i see it often stormy and sometimes calm a picture of courts i shall have no difficulty in agreeing with you that it is of no use looking for stability but in god certainly it cannot be found in the human heart for who was ever more sure than i was of the heart of the king of spain the king did not reply at all and madame de maintenon but coldly begging the princess however to go to versailles there she passed but a short time and received notice to leave the kingdom with great difficulty she obtained an asylum at rome where she lived seven years longer preserving all her health strength mind and easy grace until she died in seventeen twenty two at more than eighty-four years of age in obscurity and sadness notwithstanding her opulence but avenged of her spanish foes cardinals de la giudice and alberoni whom she met again at rome disgraced and fugitive like herself Quote, i do not know where i may die she wrote to madame de maintenon at that time in retirement at saint cyr both had survived their power the princess des ursins had not long since wanted to secure for herself a dominion madame de maintenon more far-sighted and more modest had aspired to no more than repose in the convent which she had founded and endowed discreet in her retirement as well as in her life she had not left to chance the selection of a place where she might die End of chapter forty nine